Well, today we're continuing our series of messages that we've entitled, What is a Christian? And I'd like to welcome you all to, uh, we're right in the middle of this series, and it's been a great series so far, at least from what I've received from you. And, um, and, and here's what we're trying to do. The reason we're asking the question, what is a Christian, is because the term Christian is used very sparingly in the New Testament. And when it is used, uh, it's not defined. It's used by people outside of the family of God, referring to Christians. So it's kind of a derogatory term. Oh, you Christians, you know, uh, you geeks, you know, you weirdos. It's kind of like one of those kind of words. So the word Christian, because of that, because it's not defined in the Bible, can mean anything you want it to mean. It can mean that um, uh, you're a Republican. It can mean that you're a Democrat. It can mean that uh, you believe in God. It can mean that you go to church. It can mean that you give your tithe. It can mean that you are supposed to have 20 children. It can mean anything you want it to mean. And that's the problem with a Christian. Jesus gave us a different name. And the name that he called his followers. And the name that the followers called each other. uh, One was called uh, just people of the way. But the, 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 the name that Jesus gave, the brand that Jesus gave to the, to the uh, followers of Christ more often, most often was what? Disciple. Okay. And so we've been looking at what is a disciple. And a disciple is someone who asks of Jesus, uh, because he is the one that we are following, we, he is the one who is our mentor. We're asking, okay, now, in this situation in my life, in, in my marriage, um, uh, Lord, what should I do here? And before we've even finished asking the question and before the Lord even tells us what he wants us to do through his word or through the spirit or whatever, we already give him the answer. A disciple. Well, the answer is yes. Whatever you tell me to do, Jesus, I will do. Whatever you tell me to go, I will go. Whatever you tell me to think, I will think. Whatever you tell me to believe, I will believe. That is a follower of Jesus Christ. That is a disciple. So as Jesus was leaving the earth. Uh, he said to his disciples, there's, there's one way, there's one thing that you will see and that others, that the world will see that will brand you as my followers. There's one thing that people will look at, not your politics and uh, not your bumper sticker, uh, but that there's one thing that people will look at to say, OK, now that is a follower of Jesus. And that one thing Jesus said to his, his disciples gathered around and he reaffirmed it hundreds of times. Others so that one thing that people will look at is how you love each other. How you love each other in the body of Christ and how you love the world outside of you. It's all the other stuff's good, but it's a very narrow definition. It's how you love one another. That's why on Christianity, there's both sides of any war issue or political issue or financial issue or family values issue. There's people on both sides of those because, well, a Christian could be anything you want it to be. But Jesus said, now, I, I, I want you to be a disciple. And that's a term that's hard and it's difficult and it's very narrow. And he says, I want you to love one another. It's not about your offering. It's not about your, you know, church attendance. It's not about the way you vote or, like I said, your T-shirt or your family of origin or whether you've been baptized. All those things can be very good in their context. But it's not about those. People aren't going to look and say, oh, see how he is baptized. No, they're going to look at you and say, see how you love Others, the way that Jesus loved you. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is what does it mean to love each other? 
Now, that's the problem. We all think we know something about love. You know, we say, I love tacos and I love my wife. So there's got to be some kind of nuance. You know, there's got to be something, you know, that just, you know. For instance, you've all heard me say before, and I mean this, or I meant this. Um, I love my 2002 Toyota Corolla that has paint that's chipped and it runs great. Even though Sherry says it smells like onions and Diet Coke, it's my car. It fits me. It's perfect. It's what I drive. It gets great gas mileage. I've had it since the summer of 2001. It's my car. Well, the problem with loving something is it can be taken away. So last Friday, we loaned our car to somebody from our church. And um, she's not here today. And I asked her permission to share the story. And um, uh, she was she was borrowing it to drive to San Diego. And uh, she swapped cars with us and she was going to drive my Corolla. But she was running errands and she was out on... Uh, 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 out on Warner and um, way out east. I forget what, Val, not Val Vista, but further east than that. And uh, she, remember how much it was raining on Friday? She hydroplaned, went off the side, spun around. Thank God other cars didn't hit her. Went off the side and went in one of those drainage ditches that's cement. Yeah, my little Corolla. And, uh, and, and when I got there, it was like this, just kind of sitting in there. Thank God. Linda was okay. She's fine. She's with her family in San Diego this weekend. It's all good. But my Corolla is not so good. In fact, it's totaled. You know, and so that's a whole other thing. And, and, uh, but, but I love my car. But something that you love can be taken away from you so easily. So, so Jesus comes along and says, I want you to love the way I loved. And so we say, okay, if I want to know how Jesus loved, I've got to look at the way he lived his life. And, uh, and that's where the problem comes in. When you look at the way Jesus loved, there was always tension. The tension looks like this. And I'm not going to define it because we're going to define that in a few minutes. The tension looks like this. Sometimes his love looks like a big hug. Oh, poor baby. Come here, you know, squeeze. Pat on the head. You know, it just feels like, looks like a big hug. Other times, Jesus' love looks like confrontation. And so that's the tension that the church lives in. That's the tension that I live in as your pastor. Not only personally in my own life, but as a pastor, how to lead this church. I'm constantly in that tension of, 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 of wanting to give a hug and also wanting to say, you know, that, that behavior is just not appropriate. So, so there's that tension. And, and that's why we have a hard time kind of knowing how Jesus loved. It, it, it can be very, very messy. Uh, it can be very confusing. Uh, and it can be seemingly inconsistent. But, but, but here's, here's something I want you to hear today. If you try to remove the tension around how Jesus loved, you give up something very, very important. And we'll get to that later in the message. If you try to remove the tension around how Jesus loved, sometimes with a hug, sometimes with a, you know, what? That's not appropriate. If you try to remove that tension, you give up something very, very important. So as a church, let's don't, be tempted to do that because we all grew up in churches, right? That would push one way or the other. Uh, I, I'm pushing. I love lots of hugs and other churches would go, no, no, I'm going to tell you how you should live. You know, is that kind of the hammer? And so we all kind of grew up in churches that tried to push one way because it's messy in between. It's inconsistent. It's I don't know what to do. So I need to go one way or the other. I can't just stay in the middle. And well, what I'm suggesting is that we should stay in the middle. Now, here at Hope. 
we try to hold on to that tension, as uncomfortable as it is, as messy and confusing and as inconsistent as it is. We try to hold on to that tension. Now, I get emails from you often, phone calls. Uh, what did you mean by that? You know, I didn't understand that. And, and usually it's around this idea of this tension between a hug and a uh, arm around the shoulder. Right. And, 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 and so I, we must be doing something right because you're confused as I am. OK, so so what's what we're going to talk about today? So hang on to the tension. Because Jesus hung on to the tension and that's how Jesus loves. So um, there's a, a woman uh, who is a good friend of mine. And uh, she's been to our church several times, and uh, I see her almost every week at a bagel shop where I go after I work out. So um, she's a one. Did I say what did I say? What did I say, Brian? Brandon? I I didn't think I, it didn't say laugh in my notes. So I I had no idea where that came from. Anyway, after I work out, I go to this bagel shop and eat bagels. And this gal, I, I see there often. I've seen her hundreds of times over the years. And she's a young mom. Uh, she's gay. Uh, she has a, a life partner and she has two uh, beautiful girls that they're raising. And uh, so here's the tension. <laughs> she's my friend. And she knows exactly what I believe. Exactly. Why? Because she was here a couple of years ago when I preached on uh, what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. She knows exactly what I believe. But she knows also that I love her very much and that she matters to me. And her daughters matter to me. And, and so there's that, that, that tension. And here's what she told me just recently. It's really neat. She said she's going to a church with her grandmother because her grandmother's aged and she feels like she should. It's a, a church that really goes on the grace side, really pushes hard on the grace side about it uh, doesn't matter kind of what you do. She said, I go there and she says, I'm affirmed in my gayness uh, at the church. And that, and that feels pretty good. But she said, I'm never challenged to follow Jesus in a, in a, in a closer way. And, and she, she, this gal, she's a, she loves the Lord. She says, I've never challenged. I've never pushed to, to consider what it means to follow Jesus in this area of my life. She said, I come to your church and I feel loved and I feel accepted and I feel mad. I feel all of those things. I'm not mad at you, but I'm just kind of mad at Romans. You know, and Paul is writing in the Romans and I'm mad at what it says about my gayness. And, and it, but, but I always feel so comfortable and accepted and loved there. That's the tension I'm talking about. And you know what? I don't want to give it up. We should never give it up. Now, that's one example. Another example is any Sunday I preach on a marriage and uh, a marriage uh, or divorce and remarriage. Um, the church our church is like any other church, is like most of the rest of the United States, and that about 50% of people on a given Sunday are divorced. Now, that's not quite as high in our church or in a lot of evangelicals, but about 30% of the people in our church are divorced. So it's a lot, right? It's a big number. And so I always feel this tension, and, and I've had people tell me, say, you know, when you preach on that, I feel a little bit of shame, and I feel a little guilt. I mean, maybe I should have tried to work it out, or maybe, I've, but, but yet I know I'm accepted, I'm, I'm loved, and I'm forgiven. And there's just all this tension. And, and my, my idea today is this. Don't, don't try and get away from that tension. It's okay. Individuals uh, want to compromise. So, you know, we, we don't like the tension. You know, and, and so sometimes I won't even tell you in advance that I'm preaching on something like that. Because but as you, some of you will say, well, I feel condemned, but I also feel affirmed. I, I feel forgiven. Other times I feel accountable. 
I, it's, at times I, 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 you know, I feel like you're pointing out my sin. Other times I feel like, like you're just forgiving and filled with grace and you're ignoring my sin. And, and so there's that tension and that tension, I believe, is from God. Another area that this always happens is when I preach about sex. Now, anytime I preach about sex, it's always a high attended Sunday. I don't understand that. I mean, what do you guys think I'm going to tell you? You think I'm going to tell you something new? I found a fifth gospel, and the fifth gospel says, love the one you're with. You know, I'm not going to do that. You already know what I'm going to say. You already know what I, what I believe. But, boy, we have high attendance on Sundays. We, we preach on sex. And, and, and I always have people say, you know what? That was really hard because in my life right now, I'm not really following that. And, and, and yet I, I know that God loves me, and I, and I feel this tension. And, and I, I didn't know I didn't like it. I'm going to give a copy to my kids, the sermon, and... I know I failed, but I'm still excited. And all of that, and we're all tempted to try and resolve that tension. But if we do, we give up something very important. So here we have Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and a lot of other New Testament writers that are also uncomfortable with that tension. It's messy. You sinned? Okay. Get away from me. Other times you sinned? Let me give you a big hug. You say, okay, what's going on? Which is it? What do we do? What are we supposed to believe? How are we supposed to do that? So here we have the Gospel of John. And we've been in John throughout this series in his letters and in his Gospel. The Gospel of John, John is seen, this is 45 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected when he wrote the Gospel of John. And uh, he's seen death and he's seen sorrow and he's seen bloodshed. And he talks about this, this idea that's kind of big and uh, this idea of who Jesus is, trying to explain who Jesus is. And so in, in, in John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and it's this big idea. And the word, word, in Greek means logos, and it means that kind of first spark of an idea. And you can see almost God, even before a man was created, God had this idea in his mind of love and redemption and and he even saw that man would break his heart and so he said i'll provide a way and so that's this big idea this redemptive idea and that's the logos and that is jesus christ so jesus is this big idea and and he says okay now it got really messy when uh in order for me to communicate my great love for the world i didn't know how to do it well actually he didn't know how to do it but from my perspective you know what do i do he said i know what i'll do the only thing i can do and that is to become a man Otherwise, you guys aren't going to get it. If I just stay in heaven and I just tell you stuff, you know, throw the Ten Commandments down and stuff like that, you're just not going to get it. So you're not going to figure it out. And I don't want you to perish. I want you to be, I want you to love me. And you're not doing a very good job of that. So I need to provide a way. And the way I'm going to provide is I'm going to come in a body and come to earth and show you how to live and show you how to love and show you how to die. Right? That's what disciples do. We looked at that two weeks ago. God wants you to know how to live, how to love and how to die. That's what a disciple does. So Jesus comes down. And he does that. And while Jesus is on this earth, he lives in this tension. He just lives in it. And it's like he, he soaks it up. It's like it's not a problem for him like it is for you and me. And he lives in this tension. And so here we find in John 1.14 these amazing words. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and help me with this last part, full of what? Grace and truth. There's the tension, right? There's the tension, right there. Grace and truth. And this tells us that Jesus was not afraid of this, but he was full of this. 
We'll read that in a minute, the, the rest of the passage. He was full of both grace and truth. So this, this passage talks about Jesus. Literally, when it says he came in the flesh, it's like Jesus came and camped out with us. <laughs> he lived with us. He dwelt among us. And John is saying, listen, I have seen Jesus. Uh, me and there might have been a couple other disciples still alive at that time. We don't really know. But I've seen this. This is not something, uh, some idea. This is not some teaching. This is not some book. This logos, this word is enfleshed, incarnated. And this is Jesus. And I, I saw him and I saw what he did. And I saw how he lived his life. I saw this tension that he lived with. I saw this sometimes truth saying you're accountable. And then grace says you're forgiven. Grace says, you're okay, I'm okay. That's from the 70s, if you don't remember. Truth says, none of you are okay, you're all broken. And so there's this tension between grace and truth. Grace says, no matter what you do, I will love you. Truth says, you need to deal with your behavior. Grace and truth, a tension. Now, most of that, most of us felt like that in our homes, right? We, parents, many of us, and I was the kind... We had one parent that represented grace. In my case, that was mom. And one parent that represented truth, you know, the hammer of truth. And that was my dad. And so this one time I was, uh, I don't know, I was nine or ten years old. I was out back and I thought I was Tarzan, you know, very cool, a Johnny Weissmiller. And so I was making a spear because when you kill lions, a knife didn't seem like a good plan to me. You know, too close. You know, let's go with a spear, you know, keep the line at a distance. So I was making this spear and I was practicing and stabbing it in the ground and it worked really well. My sister Judy, uh, a year older than me, came out and bothered me. And uh, she was just bothering me. And, and I said, you leave me alone or I'm going to throw this spear and stick you in your leg or your foot, you know, because I was really tough. And, and so she said, oh, you would never do that. And so my intention was to throw it and stab it right in the ground and scare her and make her go away. Well, I missed. I hit her in the foot. So Judy falls down and she's crying and there's blood and I'm terrified. I don't really care so much that I did that. I care what's coming behind it. That's my dad, you know. And so his, this is so great. So uh, I, I say, oh, Judy, I'm sorry. My dad comes running out. He looks at Judy. She's laying here writhing in pain. And I'm on the other side of her. And this is what he does. He steps over Judy to get to me. No, but I'll take care of her later. I'll fix her up later. And he just spanked me right there outside. And as he spanked me, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry. And this was so great. My dad was such a great guy. As he's spanking me, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You know, so, so he tried. He said, that's attention for my dad. The spanking part was easy. The forgiveness part wasn't so easy. Grace and truth, right? And we, so you know that. I mean, we all have been there. We, we know what that feels like, that... In our homes, if you were in a good home, you probably had a, a large dose of both grace and truth. In my life, I have wanted it to be one or the other. Because I, I, I just sometimes I don't want that tension. I, I was raised in a church that went way over to the truth side. You know, I, I, Southern Baptist, my pastor was Nazarene. It was hammer you know, do this or you burn in hell. It was just kind of truth, 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 truth. And very, very, very little grace. And so that's kind of the way I was raised. And I, to this day, if I'm in neutral, I can go that direction really fast. But here's the thing, interesting thing. I always want to be treated with grace. But in my view, my wife needs a dose of truth, right? 
or you need a dose of truth. You know, I want, you know, when I was in my gambling addiction, I want a lot of grace, but people need truth. You know, they need. To, and so there's always this kind of tension. And so John goes on after the first 14th verse and we're going to read a couple more verses. And John is saying, listen, I watched Jesus. I watched how he did this. I watched him navigate these difficult waters between truth and grace. And here's what John says. Uh, John, uh, verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John said, this guy is far superior to me, right? Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. Now, that, that phrase there in the Greek, it's a beautiful phrase. It means because of the fullness of Christ's grace, we have received blessing. And here's the way it would look in the original text. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Because, of the, because he's full of grace, you have that blessing after blessing after blessing. Verse 17. Uh-oh, where'd this come from? For the, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Grace and truth, the Bible means literally that those things didn't just kind of coexist together, they were born together in Jesus Grace and truth together were born in him. They existed in him. They were alive in him. It means that he was not 50% uh, you know, uh, truth and 50% grace. It means that he was 100% truth and 100% grace. No balance, but a full measure of both. And you say, well, that's kind of messy. And it was and is. And it's confusing. And I just don't understand it. Everybody wants to lean one way or the other. But John said, no, Jesus is all of it. He brought everything, grace and truth, to bear on each individual and unique situation. Grace and truth in a body. Now, the Bible gives plenty of examples of this. And it's, it's fascinating. I could go on all day. It's, it's just fascinating. Well, now, I want you to look at a couple of stories with me in the New Testament through this lens that I've laid out for you. This lens of Grace and truth, this tension that God does not want us to remove. He doesn't want us to push one way or the other. He wants us to live in this tension. And so here's a couple of examples. The woman at the well. So Jesus comes up to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, and she's a Samaritan, which means she's a half-breed. She's politically and economically disadvantaged. Uh, She's a woman, and as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus is not supposed to speak to her because she's not Hebrew. And so... Everything Jesus does when he comes up to this woman at the well was about grace. There's this grace and this love and this tenderness. You know, look at me. I'm talking to you. You matter. You know, there's all that grace. And we kind of like that story. But then almost abruptly, something changes in their conversation. Uh, Jesus then goes into, listen to this. He goes to the most painful and shameful part of her life. He said, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Man, that's personal stuff and it's shame based. And, you know, those of us that always like hugs and nothing else, we kind of get repulsed by that. Well, just hug her, you know, and but no, this this thing inside of her needed to be dealt with. And and, and so 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 there was this 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 truth and it was uncomfortable. And 
Jesus always made people uncomfortable when he was around them. Always people were uncomfortable around him. And so and then and then so we have this grace and then we have this truth. And then look at the way the story ends. Do you know this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus does this? This is beautiful. This is what he says. Honey, not honey, he didn't call her honey. He said, ma'am, <laughs> eyeball to eyeball. I want you to look at me. I'm looking at you. And he said, he said, I want you to see something. I am the Messiah of God. Nowhere else did he claim, you know, make that claim. Everybody else made that claim about him. I am the Messiah, these, this, this half-breed woman. I am the Messiah of God. And listen, listen. I've got water through me that will fill your soul. It will change everything. It will rescue you. It will revive you. It will restore you. It will save you. It will redeem you. It will reconcile you to God. I have this water in, in, that I want to give you that will change everything about your life. And then the woman goes running off and she tells all her friends, guess what? I just saw the Messiah of God. This is so interesting that this is the one person that Jesus brings this message. This I saw the Messiah of God and he has saved me and he wants to save you. Grace and truth. Another. So Jesus has got most of his disciples together. There's still a couple slots open. And so, you know, maybe he was getting down to the dregs, but he said, OK, I'll choose Matthew. Matthew. <laughs> Matthew is a tax collector which means he was like uh, the worst IRS agent in your dreams, in your imagination. The guy in the black coat that would knock on your door, you know, in the middle of the night. And Matthew was hated because he was a traitor to his people. He was dishonest. Uh, he, he Just everything he represented was just, ugh, you know. And Jesus does what you would expect Jesus to do. He invited him to join the band, the merry band of disciples. Now, the other disciples are saying, uh, wait a minute. Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we let him hang out with us, aren't people going to think that we are okay with tax collectors? Aren't people going to uh, judge us because we're hanging out with tax collectors? Isn't that a problem for you, Jesus? Jesus said, just hang on, it gets worse. So Jesus said, we're not only going to let him be part of our merry band, we're going to go to his house tonight, and we're going to have a banquet, and all of his friends are going to be there. All of his tax collector friends, all of his bad, sinful, naughty friends are going to be there. And we're going to just celebrate with them and we're going to love them, love them. But, but doesn't, that, doesn't that show that we're not a very good Christian because we hang out with these kind of people? I mean, isn't our reputation in jeopardy? Jesus said, just wait till about six o'clock if you want to know about your reputation being in jeopardy. Yeah, it's in jeopardy. And then Jesus said, I, I haven't come to save the, the well. I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And the other disciples said... Somebody write that down, because that's pretty good, you know. Come to seek and say, I, that, but how does that fit in with grace, truth? I don't, they're confused. And then there was the two men on the cross. And these were not just thieves. These were worse than thieves. They were kind of the worst criminals. Because only the worst criminals were crucified. Matthew says they were robbers. Other places it says they were criminals. But they were a very high level of criminal. We don't know what they did, but they were bad. And the Romans wanted them destroyed. And so uh, these two men weren't even good enough for the Roman galley, right, for the rest of their life or, or be a slave, a prison prisoner. So they had to be destroyed, uh, executed. So they get up on the cross 
And the one said, we're getting what we deserved. And at that point, you think, because Jesus is so neat and sweet and kind to you, you think, at this point, when they, we're getting what we deserved, you would think Jesus said, oh, let me just give you a hug. You know, it's okay. You know, I, I, can, I, I can see the, the joy in your heart. You, you don't really mean that. He didn't say that at all. He basically, he said, yeah, you're right. You know, you guys suck. You know, you guys deserve, you deserve death. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no argument with that, you know. And, and then Jesus said, uh, but when you breathe your last breath, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, John, time out. <laughs> Once again. Okay, just a few chapters ago, in chapter 3, right, of John, uh, this religious young man, a wealthy religious young man, came to you in the middle of the night and said, what must I do to be born again? And you said, I want you to go and sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor and come and follow me. That sounds, that sounds like what it should be. And yet this, this schlep on the cross, this guy that's never done a good thing in his life, you know, with one minute to go on the clock, you're saying you're in? Jesus said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Truth and grace. And then maybe the most famous story of all. The woman taken in adultery. She, Pharisees were gathered around her with stones ready to... Um, do justice to her. Uh, the Old Testament justice, the Ten Commandments justice. And they had the stones and they were ready to just crush her. And that's when Jesus came and he said, he said, the first, the one of you that doesn't have any sin, be the first one to cast the first stone. Then when he looked up, they were all gone. And he's left there with this woman who's trembling in fear. And he says, where are your, where are your accusers? She said, I don't know where they are. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. And so we go, oh, man, that's so sweet. Man, give her a hug, Jesus. Come on. This woman's had a rough life. Women had no place in society. If they were discarded by their husband, they really had very few things they could do. Prostitution was probably only one of the things they could do and, and survive. You know, give her a break. Give her a hug. You know, she needs, she needs some love, you know. And, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Okay, well, so which is it? <laughs> am I forgiven or am I supposed to go and sin no more? Jesus said, yes. Yeah, exactly. Both of those. Jesus, this is how I love. My grace and my forgiveness is eternal. But love compels me to tell you the life that you're living is going to lead you to death. Jesus did both. Yes, attention, yes. Story after story. And as a church, as Hope Covenant Church, we've got to get this thing right. Uh, we don't always. I don't always. Uh, you know, I grew up in a truth church. Stop breaking the law. You know, remember the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey when he couldn't tell the, a, a lie anymore? And some, uh, some criminal that he'd gotten off the hook a couple of times called and said, you know, I broke the law. You know, I, I'm in jail. What should I do? And Jim Carrey yells into the receiver, stop breaking the law. <laughs> That, that's, see, that's kind of the chip in me. That's kind of, you know, I, before I met Sherry, I wouldn't have been a very good counselor. You come and counsel me and say, you know, my life's goofed up. Well, of course it is. Look what you're doing. You know, that's what I, that would have been my counseling. Uh, but, 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 you, but you need more than that, right? But when I'm in trouble, when I'm gambling or when I sin, I, 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 I love grace. See, this is messy. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, look at what Jesus did. Grace and truth. Watch how Jesus loved. Watch how Jesus loved. 
He called sin, sin, never back down from that. And then he paid for it. He called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he says to you and to me and to the woman taken in adultery, I don't condemn you. Jesus loved. Go and sin no more. But if you fail, I'll still love you. If you question God, if you have doubts, I'll still love you. If the complexity of your brokenness of heart and, and the hurts that you've experienced by others that not even your responsibility and you just can't get this disciple thing quite right, Jesus said, I'll still love you. If you're involved in self-destructive behavior that causes you to go into spirals of brokenness, now well, I still love you. Yes, you're a sinner, but I don't condemn you. Tension there always will be. You try to resolve it, but if you do, you give up something too important. Do you know why you don't ever give up truth? You, don't wa- you know why you don't become one of those churches that says, it doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter. Just come and we'll kumbaya. You know, we'll sing together. We'll just have... Do you know why you can never give up truth? Because sin always has a gotcha. Always. Sin always has a gotcha. God loves you too much to be swallowed up by a gotcha. You tell your children, don't touch the, the, don't touch the, you know, the stove, you know, because the stove's got a gotcha. If you disobey mommy or daddy, it's got a gotcha. Sometimes you might even have to paddle their bottom to keep them away from the stove. But you do that because sin has a gotcha. Well, you don't do drugs, you tell your teenagers. Don't do sex before marriage because those behaviors have a gotcha. I love you too much, God says, to not tell you about the gotcha. So here's what's true. You need to know that. You need to press into that. You need to live that. But here's how you treat each other with grace and love. Here's why you avoid sex outside of marriage. Here's why you avoid lying and cheating and doing the wrong thing. Because every one of those behaviors has a gotcha. And God says, I love you so much. I don't want to see, I don't want to see you get you. I don't want to see it get you. I want you to experience the best in life. That's why truth matters so much. And why do you never give up on grace? Grace is the only way to forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Grace is the only way to cover those sins that you can't possibly cover on yourself. Grace is the only way to redeem that which is broken in your soul. You can't breathe without grace. I know people who have tried to live their whole lives keeping the law, doing the right thing, you know, always judging everybody else and doing the right thing. Those are the most miserable people in the world. I don't care if they call themselves Christians or disciples. Those are miserable people because they've never experienced the grace of God. Never. You see, Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. He was filled to to the brim with both. And Jesus said, I want you to love others the way that I loved you. Yeah, it's messy. Yes, sometimes it's inconsistent. Sometimes I still get it wrong even when I preach. But the church is at its best when it is full of grace and truth. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at the way he lived. Grace and truth. 
So Jesus said, love one another the way I've loved you. There it is. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it looks like a big hug. Sometimes it looks like putting your arm around a friend and saying, if you continue going this direction in your life, you're going to ruin yourself. You're going to ruin your family. It's just wrong. And I'm going to stand in your driveway until you get this thing right. Yeah, there's a tension there. How many times have you heard people say, well, don't judge me. Well, we learned a couple of weeks ago. It's exactly what we should do if we're part of the family of God, right? In a loving way to hold each other accountable. But we need massive amounts of grace. So I want to close. Uh, a few years ago, um, there's a, a teenage girl in our church uh, who got pregnant out of wedlock. And everything in her life changed overnight, as you would expect. I remember um, meeting with her in my office and having a conversation with her through many tears. And uh, the, the guy that was the father was not going to be part of the baby's life. So already she's a single mom and she's like three months pregnant. And, and it's a mess. And I'm praying with her and trying to encourage her and trying to speak the truth to her at the same time. And um, so here's what happened in our church. Uh, I, I was, and others did too. Pastor Brian and others, we spoke the truth to her. Um, and, then, and then we gave her a shower. And some people, I, I don't know, maybe it was some of you, I don't know, I don't remember who the individuals were. Some people said, that's just not right. We should not be celebrating a girl that's pregnant out of wedlock. Well, I, with all my heart, disagree with you. That's exactly what we should do with that girl. First of all, that baby has, did nothing wrong. And, and here, here's the bottom line to that. If we had have been more truth than grace, and we were both, if we had have been more truth and driven that person off, well, guess what? At this, I don't know about today, but almost every Sunday, that little boy that was born four years ago is in Sunday school. He's in Sunday school. Guess what? He's learning about Jesus. If we tell that mom that she doesn't matter, if we tell that mom to go away because she did something bad, if we do that, this doesn't happen. Truth and grace. Friends, I don't know how to make it work all the time. But I do know this. God has called us to be both. To be filled, to overflowing like Jesus was. With truth and grace. Bow your heads with me, please. So, Father, we, uh, you know, we, we come to the end of another message where it's like John is just kicking us all over the place. <laughs> We're feeling kind of wounded and a little bit bruised and I don't know if I believe that and, and, and so a lot of things are going on in our hearts and our minds but Father this is the thing that you've laid on my heart and it's, and it's this uh, Dwayne Richard Cross Hope Covenant Church you be a person in a church of great influence by keeping in balance grace and truth I know sometimes it's uncomfortable I know sometimes it's messy I know sometimes it seems inconsistent, but don't you ever give up that tension, grace, and truth. Father, we need your help to do that. Again, we don't always know what that looks like. We have a tendency, some of us have a tendency to go to truth too fast. Others have a tendency to go to grace too fast. But, Father, for all of us, we have been called to be your disciples in the world and to show that kind of love to the world. It's by our love that people will know that we are called disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for...
being so responsive. Um, I know this, some of this is hard. I, I've wrestled with this for weeks, and I trust that God's going to use that tension in your life to give you great love and grace and truth to all those who know you.